Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a podcast hosted by two guys who are real embarrassed to be having a Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We, we really like haven't qu- quite committed to what level of embarrassment we're feeling, have we? <laughs> uh, I have. I've, I'm at the level of embarrassment that means that I'm wearing an Ortolan hood while recording the podcast now. <laughs> Our uh, our artwork says a bit embarrassed, but maybe we need to uh, go back to the drawing board on that. I'm all the way embarrassed. Yeah, because, I mean, we've we've both been watching Star Trek The Next Generation for years. We're both huge fans, but it used to be something that we sort of just did when nobody else was around. Like, <laughs> like I, this is not a show I can watch when my wife is even in the apartment. Like, it is <laughs> not on the table. Do you have to, when she comes home, like, do you have to hide the evidence that you've been watching it? It's, it's seriously more covert than masturbation <laughs> in my life. This is uh, episode seven, Justice. Um, so the Enterprise has arrived at this planet called Rubicon 2, and <laughs> Picard is, uh, which already sounds dirty, um, Picard comments on how, how beautiful it is, and uh, and he says that they've sent a small away team to check the place out, interact with the inhabitants, and Riker saunters onto the bridge with just a fucking shit-eating grin coming back from this away mission. Why is his uniform wet? <laughs> yeah, in surprising places. And, uh, you know, they kind of, like, th- this is all happening amidst the doctor coming on to the bridge to bark at the captain that they've, they're all exhausted from colonizing this planet a couple of systems away. Everybody needs a, everybody needs some shore leave. And, uh, Does she order him? Like she, is that? She is doesn't quite get there, but she sort of insists. She insists a little, a little more full throatedly than than she insisted that he submit to a psychological exam in the last episode. Right? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe she just had a big cup of coffee or something. Um, <laughs> this is the cold open of the episode before we go into our space, the final frontier opening sequence and it literally ends with the line as picard decides to authorize shore leave let's hope it's not too good to be true let's just hope it's not too good to be true Uh, (laughs) which i feel like could be the beginning of like 75 percent of all star trek episodes right if it goes without saying uh he says it (laughs) yeah so uh they the, the the away team beams down. I think it's Worf and Yar and uh, Troy. Riker. Before they before they beam down, just a second. Like they're they're talking about it before yeah. going back down, and they're they're using all this weird innuendo. Like uh, like they they make love at the drop of a hat. Tasha Yar's like at the drop of any hat. Right. Any and every hat. What does that mean? Like a know. Homburg or a Trilby? <laughs> they don't. They don't draw a lot of distinctions between 
between sombreros and ball caps. Uh, that's that put this on knowledge that uh, that I'm I'm just not getting from you. <laughs> oh man, the the good folks that put this on will sue me if they hear me trying to associate myself with them. Well, it's after, a good thing after they this. nor anyone else are listening to the show. <laughs> Uh, so Wesley is also a member of this away team and, uh, he's tasked specifically by the captain to assess the planet for whether it's good, uh, for children. Um, how old is Wesley? Do you think like the character of Wesley? Yeah, I don't know. They refer to him as a child, but he's, he's clearly like a teenager, right? And he's definitely referred to as the boy a bunch of times in this episode again. Yeah. Um, but he also like um, But it's not like he's a toddler like like uh reviewing the planet for safety. Right. <laughs> like it's such a weird thing. Like he's he he's a he's a young adult. He's definitely like like there's grass on the field to use a gross euphemism. Yeah. Uh so anyways, the uh, scene where they beam down is really funny because uh the the Edo, the natives of this planet that have met Riker and Yar already like run up to them and Worf is like yo what the fuck and, and they Riker's run up like, to them like Riker's like chill chill we know these guys <laughs> and then they start hugging everybody like like uh, yo we're definitely gonna fuck later <laughs> is, is or, the, or like is the we message have already sending. fucked before yeah we fucked already and we're going to again <laughs> and uh, I just sent I detected a little bit of jealousy in Troy when uh, the the hot babe was rubbing up on Riker. Oh, all of them get a little bit of rubbing. Yeah. Uh, save for Wesley, who awkwardly, like, isn't sure how to interact with anyone for some reason. No, yeah, he's definitely in uh, in a little bit of an awkward phase at the moment. I, um. <laughs> if if it's not a bald man, uh, he's, he's just not sure how to please that person. Yeah. We should talk about how these aliens look, these, uh, these Edo. Like, these yeah, not, we should. These are not fish people. No. These are, these are not dog people. They're described as almost identical to us, uh, I think, in the uh, beginning of the episode. So they're, and they are all blonde. So it's like kind of a Aryan master race of aliens. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> the women all have curly hair and the dudes all have just kind of like 80s blonde dude haircuts. But they all are basically wearing like like handkerchiefs that have been tied together strategically to hang off of their bodies. Yeah. Just so. Like if you were if you were gonna sit on any of the furniture, I think you'd want to put something down first. That's that's the level of coverage we're talking about. Yeah. In, this is uh, like this is a level of coverage where like if this was a main cast character on any T V show at any point, if they got as naked as these people are, it would be like a very sexy moment in a television series. Uh, but these people are all just kind of running around like this. Uh, that's their that's their normal way of life. They have a very hedonistic lifestyle. They all planet. look like Cinemax adult film stars. Like oh yeah, they definitely like. like there's a lot of good looking enough that they're like on the line of severe looking. Yeah, know? there's a lot of early '80s era boob jobs yeah. on display. A lot of Tory Spelling level uh, boob jobs. Yeah, say. it's like it's sort of like uh, any any like CG alien in a film in the like post Jurassic Park, but pre I don't know uh, uh, 
like <laughs> Avatar era where it's like, uh, like I can see where you're going with this boob job, but it's not quite plausible. It's like a weird combination of like Hitler's final solution fantasy <laughs> and like late night softcore pornography. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. real weird. Uh, yeah. But everyone seems real nice. Like, that's another part of it. It's not like, like, they look like they're filthy porn stars, but they, right. they are like sexy Mormons. They're really, right. <laughs> they're really nice and innocent sounding. And they, and like, they, I don't know, like, there isn't that undercurrent of filth that you might associate with, it's not uh, with how we're describing them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Wesley gets introduced to some kids, and everybody is running around, having a blast in this paradise-like environment. And meanwhile, back in orbit, uh, Data has been going nuts, picking up something uh, off their starboard bow, and they send out a send out a signal, and finally this thing reveals itself, and it's this massive uh, object that's in orbit. It's sort of looks like a like a space station or something and it sends this like orb uh out through space and it like floats up into the enterprise and winds up on the bridge and it's this kind of like aggressive beach ball that has a conversation with Riker trying to determine what their intentions are it has observed that they planted a colony a couple of systems away and it's really concerned that they might be trying to do the same thing here uh picard assures them that that's not the plan and then the beach ball like goes and attaches itself to data's head and data falls over and is like lying uh knocked out on the bridge while this thing kind of interfaces digitally with him uh with fingers or uh or like a, a connection. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it's like attracted to the fact that he has a, a android uh, mind. Uh, that's the kind of level that this beach ball is is working on. It doesn't like the verbal communication so much. Moving from topic to topic, so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic, hypnotic, hypnotic. There's a pretty funny scene where Yar and Worf are just like shooting the old breeze with a couple of the Edo and they're like yeah like we kill anybody that commits any crime and it doesn't really matter how small it is no like any small insignificant crime we will kill them dead and Worf, Worf and Yar are like we gotta find Wesley and then like smash cut to Wesley uh, going long for a <laughs> softball and uh crashing through a a uh, butterfly net into some flowers that were uh growing just beyond a white barrier and um just his luck the only two cops on the entire planet happen to be uh <laughs> very close by and they run up and they're also the only two like angry looking people on the entire planet did you notice one of them was thomas keller <laughs> the famous chef yeah <laughs> he looked exactly like thomas keller man uh you know i i feel like i should know more what thomas keller looks like given all of the thomas keller getting only two stars for per se that's been in the news recently but uh this security uh, person is as angry as a thomas keller getting two stars yeah murderously angry yeah <laughs> yeah and they uh so they're kind of like getting ready to whip out their 
lethal injection when uh, all of the rest of the away team runs up and Riker like socks it to one of them and Worf and Yar pull out their uh, their uh, garage door opener grade phasers on them <laughs> and uh, it's really weird how uh, these guys are getting thrown around and nothing's flopping out yeah this, like they the, aren't the, the, the number of moose knuckles on the dudes in this episode is like <laughs> it's so fucking upsetting like it's like it's like all like like almost all you can focus on is just like wow like you can really see like the outline of the tip of his dick right in this costume yeah it's it's like so much putty yeah <laughs> but anyways um the Edo are convinced to not kill Wesley immediately while uh, while they sort this out. And um, I guess this space space uh, space station in orbit has been blocking communications between the away team and the ship. But once the uh, sphere departs Data's body, they resume communication. And so Picard beams down to the surface and... Uh, you know, learns, you know, gets caught up basically. He watches and, the uh, episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might as well. Um, and he basically says like, uh, we're not really down with your capital punishment situation, uh, which the Edo take great umbrage at, um, which I thought was a pretty good moment. They're kind of, you know, like, you know, this is our, this is our law and, you know, you can come here and tell us how fucking great and superior you are, but Sassel fucking broke our law. Yeah, but at the same time, like, that's not being a very good host either. You don't, like, you don't tell people where the bathrooms are and where they can grab a bite to eat and, like, where they can park and right. then not disclose that you will be immediately killed for trampling the flowers. Yeah. Like, I think they've got to take a little bit of responsibility, more responsibility than they take, which is none for for that oversight. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I guess maybe they are a little bit more primitive than the uh, than the the crew of the Enterprise. Um. <laughs> Where's that cop keep the syringe if he's wearing nothing but a towel? I didn't he take it out like out of a belt or they had like they had like slightly more garb on than I mean not like to the point where it didn't they didn't have moose knuckles or anything but they did have like at no a, point was there a, a lack of moose knuckle yeah uh, for any of the men on this planet yeah they're they're rocking a lot of knuck <laughs> rocking knuck <laughs> um so anyways um picard convinces one of the Edo to come back up to the ship after kind of saying like I'm not gonna just unilaterally take Wesley back because the prime directive yada 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 and uh, so she comes up to the ship and uh, they go to the observation lounge and she gets a load of the <laughs> space station and sort of prostrates herself in, in the face of the glory of God and uh, we come to understand that the Edo worship this thing as a uh, as as a god thing in data's words um and uh so then picard goes and talks to data and like in this is kind of like the part of the show where he's trying to kind of sort out what to do about wesley and every time he's got to sort of 
have a dispassionate conversation with somebody about what's going to happen with Wesley, the doctor finds a way of just kind of barging in and, <laughs> and like draping everything with all of the emotional baggage that it's going to have for her, which is like, while also making clear to us, the viewer that Wesley is her son. Yeah. And it's plausible enough when she like bumps into him in the hallway and then plausible enough again in the, in the sick bay when he goes to talk to data about what he has learned about these, uh, this species that they've encountered in orbit. Um, through his mind meld or whatever, but then like digital stimulation, <laughs> yeah. but then Picard kind of goes back to his quarters with data and they're kind of having a discussion of the kind of tricky legal situation they're in. And the doctor walks into Picard's quarters, like without ringing the doorbell or like requesting permission to enter or anything. She like the door opens and she just fucking walks right in. <laughs> like but she's she, there to borrow scarves. Yeah. Yeah. It's the third time now that the, uh, that the door mechanisms have really failed the people <laughs> on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> but I guess P- Picard makes up his mind that Wesley is not going to buy the farm, uh, this day. And he beams down to the surface and they sort of, half-assedly debate the points of the case but ultimately Picard is just like you know what your fucking law is kind of bullshit and uh, there's not really anything you can do to stop us and I'm willing to take the chance that that thing in orbit will kill everybody on my ship in defiance of that law and uh, just another example of Picard being uh, super willing to sacrifice everyone's life yeah Real cavalier. Very cavalier. So they, they go to like beam up and it's like this hilariously awkward scene where he's like, beam me up and nothing happens. And everybody's like, uh, 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 which I feel like, I it's feel gotta like it's, be the most embarrassing thing if you're, yeah. if you're in the Federation is for that yeah. to happen. It's like, it's like, Hey guys, watch this. And then whatever you wanted to have happen does not fucking work out. Uh, <laughs> So far, so, like after the last episode, uh, Picard shows no weirdness about being transported anywhere, even though just moments before uh, he was transported into a cloud. Yeah, like that's yeah. Weird. He doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't seem to retain any kind of traumatic. He's getting right back up on the transporter horse. Yeah. So Picard just kind of like looks up at the sky and makes an appeal directly to the entities um, in orbit uh, as though he is talking angrily to God and uh, says like, you know, like justice, justice is, uh, is the ideal and laws are not absolute. And, you know, you can't, you can't just ensure, you know, you have to have exceptions to allow for justice ultimately. Uh, because no two situations are the same. And I, I guess he's sort of making the case on both sides, on the prime directive side and on the side of the law that the Edo follow. And so the transporter beam goes ahead and engages, and we never hear from the Edo again. Uh, so I have no, like, we, we're never really left with any resolution about how they feel about uh, the argument that he made, but he really makes this very like it's like a three sentence argument right at the end, and it like crystallizes the uh, the conflict that he's been having. 
Um, but for yeah, almost whatever as if reason, running out of time in the episode, <laughs> and he has to really summarize everything. Yeah, but the entity is seems to be satisfied, and so it lets them go on their merry way, and it even lets them keep their colony a couple of systems away. Yeah, so that's a happy ending. Yeah, on a planet full of them. Yeah. Oh, hey. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Stuff with Wesley and the kids. Like, this is kind of a Wesley-centric episode, and... Uh, he runs around <laughs> for, with these for his softcore pornography as it is. It actually is a very Wesley centric episode. Yeah, and like, and and they definitely have a couple of like. It's a little uncomfortable with the kids because it's like kind of you know children that are below the age of consent wearing the same extremely revealing clothing that the uh, softcore porno performers are wearing. Yeah, and, they seem uh, to get that they should go do their own thing away from the adults too. Like I don't, wh- yeah. whatever her name is, the the lead girl, uh, the lead Ito, like yeah. says, yeah, maybe Wesley should uh, should go find some kids to play with while we bone yeah. down in our conference room. These guys guys don't want to be ducking jisms the way the way they would be if they <laughs> were stuck around here. But uh, at Did, some point, one of the girls in wesley's group goes like wesley i want you to teach me something and he's very demure he's like well there's some games that i don't know yet (laughs) and uh and she says no i want you to teach me to play ball which is like not not a euphemism i want to do something too with you uh what it's something you can teach me will you uh, well, actually, there are some games I don't quite know yet. It's playing ball. Will you teach me? Oh, sure. <laughs> the Topanga character seems to be laying it on, like, pretty suggestively yeah. uh, in Wesley's eyes. But uh, unfortunately, she was just talking about playing ball. That ball winds up getting him in a lot of trouble. <laughs> What did you think of the bro-down between Worf and Riker when they're talking about doing it? Yeah. Remember that, that scene? It, it was... The, so Worf kind of kind of tells Riker, like, I, I, I don't bang Earth women because I would have to restrain myself too much and it wouldn't be any fun for me. What about plain old basic sex? You must have some need for that. Of course. But with the females available to me, sir, Earth females, I must restrain myself too much. They are quite fragile, sir. Worf, if anyone else had said that, I'd suspect he was bragging. Bragging, sir. Which is kind of in conflict with the way he greets the Edo at the beginning, because he's like, yo, nice nice planet you guys got here. Did you get any detection of, like, Riker going, yeah, I hear that. Show enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, almost like a mental rocks... Uh, situation between the two like like maybe Riker understands Worf better than he did before I mean it was either that or Riker was sort of distracted planning the next gash he was planning on stabbing how much sex do you think Riker had on this planet before beaming back up the first time yeah we don't really have any sense of how much time they spent on that first on that first away mission. But judging by the look on his face when he comes back up, I mean, we know that Riker has a a lot of depth and breadth to his sexual experience. (laughs) And the look on his face uh, sort of leads me to believe that he's kind of found a new nirvana. It's joy like we've never seen uh, on any character's face. Yeah. 
there's one other like kind of random moment that I wanted to talk about in this episode, which is uh, when they first have visual contact with the space station in orbit, they're having trouble scanning it. And the guy that's uh, over on security where Yar would have been, had she not been down on the planet says it's sort of there and not there at the same time. And Picard yells to Jordy, like, go get a real look at it. And Jordy, like, runs down to some other deck and just goes and looks out the window and then radios back up to the bridge based on what his visor sees, which implies that his visor is a way better sensor than anything on the outside of a fucking starship. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Why not just put a fucking visor out on the outside of the ship if it's so great? Yeah, why not make Jordy into a hood ornament? and uh... <laughs> Yeah, bronze him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This, yeah. There's a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense in this episode. That seems yeah. to be a theme of season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, what did you... What did you think of like all the running? Yeah, so the uh, the people on the planet, uh, the the only way they get anywhere is by jogging, and I it it felt to me like uh, like the away team pulled up to a Les Schwab Tire Center with a flat tire, and like <laughs> everyone ran out to greet them. It was really weird. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is probably adaptive for their society because you know you need a lot of stamina to to bone that's how you get so jacked amount of times that you have to bone any given day and yeah like these people are super fit like all the dudes have like some some serious pec action everybody's got a nice flat tummy everybody's got some moose knuck i mean there's (laughs) some righteous knuck a lot a lot of eye candy in this episode uh serious question do you think this is actually the most racist episode that we've seen so far <laughs> against white people. <laughs> I don't know. Like the whole, the whole final solution planet is really weird. It kind of squicks me out. They're all white and blonde. Yeah, they yeah. they evidently have formed a perfect society without any crime. Right. Like I don't know. The Maybe only I'm... way that's plausible is if, <laughs> right. if there's no mixing of. <laughs> right. Of that's the what I'm getting at. It, it was yeah. gross. In that well, way. Yeah, I suppose the kinds of imaginations that would come up with the race in episode three would come up with the race uh, that we are currently dealing with. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably kind of a continuation of, of, uh, of, that, same, of that same racism. Yeah, it, it made me uncomfortable in a lot of ways, this episode. Yeah. Also, the thing that made it the most memorable, I thought. I think of all the season one episodes, this is the one that that uh, that felt the most familiar. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this one it seemed like the outlier. Probably stuck in my memory as much as as any episode uh, from season one for sure. It's also one of the ones that really boil down into a single sentence, uh, like slug line in the writers' room. Much like the <laughs> "What if the crew gets drunk." Yeah. Episode. This one's like, what if they find an orgy planet? <laughs> yeah. What could there be wrong with that orgy planet? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that. What if the crew all got drunk? Uh, premise. That was the second episode, yeah. and I feel like that is such a fun premise to explore 
when you've really developed a series. Like, if that was in the third or fourth season, I think it would be really interesting because we would really know a lot about the characters. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, same thing here. Like, the kind of couple of away team members we see get to interact with this orgy planet, like, it's it's like it's used for character development and not to kind of deliver the promise of the premise of, of these characters, which, uh, you know, missed opportunity, in my opinion. <laughs> So many missed opportunities. I have a very serious question to ask you. Yes. Who is your drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. You know, my my gut is just that it, it's uh, it's the doctor because I feel like she is just constantly kind of not you know where she's not wanted. Like the captain keeps needing to be, you know, making a decision given the facts and not given the kind of emotional baggage of, of the situation. And she just will not relent in injecting that emotional baggage <laughs> wherever she can find a place to inject it. Good pick. God, I feel like we should be keeping track. Has Beverly been uh, given the drunk Shimoda before? I don't think I have. I yeah. actually have it written down on all my notes. So oh, we, could, we could, we could like make a, uh, put that we on the make website. A power ranking on the website. Yeah. Not make that sure we actually we have a website. Put that on our show notes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my drunk Shimoda vote is going to be for uh, so there's like the lead Ido uh, Ido female, and then there's sort of her her compatriot, uh, the the real He Man looking guy. Yeah, I didn't get his name, but I'm voting for him because <laughs> there are about five times during this episode where he's very clearly like speaking swingers rules to people. In a, in a like, there's an air of confident swinger about him that is yeah. so creepy that that uh, sounds like a drunk person. Like he says specifically, uh, no one does anything uncomfortable to them. Like that's one yeah. of their main rules. <laughs> yeah. And that like, if if you read any like Dan Savage, like any of his columns or whatever, like that is a major like swinging rule that I I just laughed out loud at. It was super yeah. funny. He's like. He just sprinkles them throughout the episode in a really like matter of fact, cool guy way. Uh, one one could argue a drunk Shimoda style way, and and so that's why he gets my vote. You know the uh, the swing the swinging movement I think was founded by like fighter pilots uh, from uh, you know post World War II era, and he really <laughs> kind of fits that uh, that mold as well in a lot of ways. He's kind of like a kind of like a top gun type jock character so and like the idea of like there being like regulations for a a sexual encounter like kind of fits (laughs) into that that mindset he he may be a real life swinger are you saying that swinger subculture was in fact started by the greatest generation wow wow We've uh, we've we've hit on something very important in this episode. I think we're through the looking glass right now. Yeah, I think we need to go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> and so does Riker. <laughs> Hashtag greatest gen. Okay, so in the next episode, episode eight, the battle. A thought-altering device controlled by a Ferengi captain seeking revenge on Picard for his son's death threatens the life of the captain and the safety of the Enterprise. 
I remember this this episode. They like find weird orbs in people's quarters, right? And like the captain is like beaming into different parts of the ship and like they can't figure out how he's doing it. Does that sound right? Yeah, sort of. I don't remember much about this episode, to be honest. I can't remember what son this this Ferengi captain would be revenging on, though. Yeah, and it's not like... Did they kill uh, a Ferengi in that first Ferengi episode? I don't remember that happening. Yeah, I don't think it did. And I, I think I think the character of Picard is capable of a lot of, of crimes, uh, but murder doesn't seem to be one of them. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see... What goes down with our second encounter with the worst alien race in the Star Trek canon? Yeah, I mean, if it's called the battle, I'm pretty excited for actual space battles. Yeah. You know, like like science fiction should have. Right. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get a little bit of that knuck in this, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes the Ferengi bring some... Uh... They've got head knuck, don't they? <laughs> they got nose knuck for sure. <laughs> Alright, I think that's going to do it uh, for this episode, I think. I think that's, uh, we've said all that there is to be said about the episode of Justice. Uh, favorite episode of the season so far, I think. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of eye candy. A lot of uh, crotch candy. Yeah, good times. A lot of feelings. A lot of feels. With that, we'll be back at you next week with another exciting installment of The Greatest Generation. That's right. Uh, if you have any comments, I guess, uh, be sure to reach out with us on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'm saying that just to my mom and dad, who are the oh, only, good, only good, ones good. listening. Yeah. That, uh... <laughs> and, and your mom and dad, Ben. Yeah. Both of whom actually have Twitter accounts. You know what? Embarrassingly if they, enough. If they do, I'm going to ask them about that whole summer camp story. We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh boy oh let's let that never come up again I, oh i'm gonna bring it up every chance i get all right see you next time i've been ben harrison i've been adam pranico bye good show young chap <laughs> the boy <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so great. I ask your mom and dad about you, and, and that's their response. <laughs> the the boy, boy? Young Wesley? <laughs> <laughs>